0: at Calvary there my Savior died He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide All I need for living is mine by just believing Life begins at Calvary Life that never
1: ends And they brought unto Him also infants that He would touch them. But when His disciples saw it they rebuked them, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Very verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? None is good save one, that is, God. But you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not false witness, honor your father and mother. All these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, you shall have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich.
2: Welcome to The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through his word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever.
0: In our study in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, we see Jesus receiving little children. Well, these little ones were actually infants, and the disciples were trying to forbid the mothers from bringing these little ones to Jesus. But here... Jesus issues a stern rebuke to his disciples to let the children come to him. And this shows the concern and the care which the Lord Jesus has for little ones. You know, little ones always trust and have faith. And in fact, Jesus said that such belong to the kingdom of heaven. Well, next in this passage is the question of the rich young ruler who asked our Lord, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? while the Lord stated that none is good except God alone. Now, do you believe Jesus Christ is good? Well, He is good, because He is God in the flesh. Here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Luke chapter 18, verse 15.
1: We again come to you today with studies in the Gospel through Luke. And by the way, we're in chapter 18 of His amazing Gospel. For those of you who are just listening in, possibly for the first time, uh, we've been dealing in the gospel through Luke with our Lord as the sinner's Savior. You know the gospel through Luke, uh, if I were to give you a key verse, would be chapter 15 where it says at the beginning, first two verses, uh, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, and the Pharisees said, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with him. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord should take you and me in who are sinners and make us not only his children, but impart to us his own life and grant to us the joy and the peace and the privilege of every day walking in the fellowship with the one who redeemed us. In the 18th chapter we were dealing in our last two lessons uh, with this question of our Lord teaching, the importance of prayer. The chapter starts, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And again, he gives us a little story of the unjust steward and the widow. And he deals there with the perseverance in prayer because it's easier to faint than it is to pray. I'm talking about real praying. where well, you mean business with God. It's going to cost something. Uh, it isn't just getting down and saying a few words and saying amen and getting off your knees or wherever you, whatever you're doing and going about your business, forget about what you've done. This is a, a heart that comes in the presence of God, and in spite of all the opposition of men and the world and hell, they plead with God for men. They plead with God concerning the people of God. They take their place as intercessors before the throne of grace. That calls for perseverance. Now, sometimes people say, well, Mr. Mitchell, that's not faith. If you had faith, you only need to ask once. Well, my friend, apparently you know more about it than the Savior. for in chapter 11, he talked about the one who asked for three loaves. And he got it because of his perseverance, because of his importunity. Likewise, in chapter 18, The unjust judge met the need of this woman because of her perseverance, because of her persistence. And may I say very frankly, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't ask the Father once to remove the cup. He asked Him three times if it's possible to remove the cup from Him. What I'm trying to say to you is this, this idea of faith, my friend, you get a You've got a distorted idea about faith. Faith is persistent. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he followed that with the the parable of the Pharisee and the publican where he's dealing with the reality in prayer. One prayed with himself, the Pharisee, self-righteous. He was trying to tell God how good a man he was, and he went away empty. The other man took his place as a sinner in the presence of God, needing a Savior, needing mercy, and God met his need. The first man didn't have a need, according to his own thinking. What he needed was a revelation of himself, that he needed a Savior. He thought he didn't need anything. Whereas the public and this racketeer, uh, he needed mercy, and God always meets the need of needy hearts that are real before him. Now, having spoken about the importance of praying, our Lord then begins to teach the importance of salvation, starting in at verse 15 and running right on down through verse 30, the importance of salvation. And first of all, he takes up in verses 15 to 17 whom the Lord receives. Now, he uses a a look in writing. This uses this illustration of children verses 15 to 17, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. That is, the disciples rebuked the mothers. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein." Now let's not be too hard on these disciples. Here our Lord is moving on toward Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. And uh, along come these mothers with their children. Now, if I had been a mother with a little baby, I surely would have brought my baby to have the Lord blessed, wouldn't you? What's the matter with these disciples? Well, you see, these disciples were zealous for the Lord. They were concerned about him. He was tired. And he's not only on his way to Jerusalem, but uh, but he's been besieged by multitudes all along the way. He's been healing the sick. He's been rebuking the Pharisees. He's been encouraging sinners to be saved. He's been teaching his disciples. And uh, they're concerned about him. And it was in their zeal for him that they they tried to get their mothers, take your children out of the way. Now, away you go. Leave your kids. Don't bother the Savior. Don't bother the Master. And the Lord Jesus said, Wait a minute. Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever, shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein. And you know, may I say this? There's a possibility that the rich ruler, whom we speak of in verses 18 to 23, the possibility, I say, is that the ruler was standing there watching this and listening in. And I say again, you can't blame these mothers for wanting their babies blessed. But what did Jesus mean when he took this? Except you be like a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Friend, the one thing about a child is simple trust, irrespective of the age of the child or the conditions. Children have a simple trust. My how they trust their mother, especially their mother. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, if you take that same simple trust that a child puts, into his, puts toward his mother, you manifest the same trust toward God. You see, a child trusts his mother because the child has the mother as the object of their faith and trust. And when a sinner has the Lord Jesus Christ as the object of his faith, of his trust, then he has entrance into the kingdom of God. Again, you come back to this question of reality, or this question of faith, the importance of faith. And I've so often said this, and I don't mind repeating it. The importance of faith is not your faith, but the object of your faith like a child, the mother is the object of the child's trust and faith. Now the child doesn't think about its faith or its trust. It it just looks up to mommy, and that's it. Simplicity of trust. So it is with us. Which leads us to the next portion from verse 18 right on down through verse 23. And we have this rich ruler comes to Jesus and he asks a question. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I I say, there's a possibility that this rich ruler was listening in when the Lord Jesus said, uh, Of such is the kingdom of God. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? None is good save one, that is, God. But you know the commandments, and he gave the commandment with respect to our responsibility to our neighbors. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not false witness, honor your father and mother. All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, you shall have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And that's the end of the story as far as this man was concerned. But notice again, and by the way, we had this same thought in chapter 10. You remember in chapter 10, the lawyer came to Jesus and said, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And the Lord said to him, What is written in the law, how readest thou? if you take these two instances, the, the, the lawyer and the rich and the rich ruler here, you'll notice that in one he deals with the lawyer with respect to his neighbor. You remember the lawyer had said in answering to our Lord, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, This too, you shall live. And the man said, But who's my neighbor? In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, put his finger on this man, this lawyer's heart. He boasted possibly about his love for God, but he had no love for his neighbor. Do you remember? That's followed by the story of the Good Samaritan, that wonderful picture of redeeming grace. Now, in this picture, it's just the opposite. This man is asked concerning his relationship to his neighbor. And he says, I've, I've done all this business. I've, I've, Being a good neighbor, but what about your relationship to God? You've got an idol in your heart. Now, let me take it up. This man came to Jesus, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, the Pharisee, who was praying in the preceding part of the chapter, prayed thus for himself, telling God how good a man he was. I have an idea this rich ruler was about the same thought because when he was asked the question about his relationship to other men, uh, he was keeping the law. He was keeping the law. It's all negative, by the way, except honoring his father and mother. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't kill. He didn't steal. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And he honored his father and mother. Very commendable man. But he didn't know what he was in the sight of God. Again, I come back to it. My friend, the important thing is not how you look in the presence of man. The important thing is how do you stand before God. It was God you have to do. Now, I'm. I'm. Please don't misunderstand me. I do have a responsibility to man. And I do have a responsibility to God. But the danger with the lawyer and with the rich ruler was the fact that they were good to their neighbors, possibly but they were not right with God. Now, let's look at it. In the first place he didn't know his own condition, and he didn't stress that, nor did he know how to receive eternal life. He thought life, eternal life, was the fruitage, was the reward of being good. And friend, let me tell you this, that eternal life is not a reward for being good. Eternal life is received only one way, and that is through relationship to the Savior. And unless I'm related to the Savior, the eternal Son of God, I do not have eternal life. I received human life through my parents, through relationship. I've said this before, and I don't mind repeating it, because for some reason or other the average person right down in his heart, believes if he's a better man or a better woman, God's going to receive him. That's far from the truth. Eternal life is a free gift from God to those who will put their trust in the Savior, like a a child trusting his mother, as we had in the preceding verses. Then, furthermore, this man said something else. He put himself on the spot when he said this, Good master, what shall I do that I may? have eternal life. Now, you know, although he was ignorant on how to get life and ignorant of his own condition, he did a strange thing when he said to Jesus, Good Master. Now, the word he used for good, because the Lord took it up and said, Why do you call me good? There's only one who can can, uh, qualify for that word, and that's God. None is good save one, that's God. The word there he used was a word, the Greek word agathos, or agathe, using it here. And in the rabbinical writings it was only used of God, never used of man. Hence the question of our Lord, why do you call me good? You notice the Lord was challenging this rich ruler as to his person and as to his word. If Jesus is not Agathos, good, intrinsically good, then he's not God. But if he is Agathos, intrinsically good, then he is God. That's why I say this rich rich, uh, ruler put himself on the spot when he called Jesus good, whatever Jesus said he had to do. If he's good, if he can qualify for that word, he must be God. If he can't qualify then he's not gone so when the rich young ruler or in this connection in pardon me in mark chapter 10 he's called the rich young ruler here he's just called the rich ruler Uh, we read in verse in verse uh, verse 23 he was very rich now this rich ruler when he said good master he put himself under obligation to believe anything and everything that jesus did and say Just like Nicodemus did in John chapter 3. We know that you are a teacher from God. No man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him. And Jesus amazingly said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've been born wrong. You've got to be born all over again. And Nicodemus put himself into a position where he had to believe what Jesus said when he said, you're from God. Likewise here. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Again, allow me to say, my friend, to you today, life is never received by works. You can't buy it. It's not a commodity on the market. It is something that can only, only, only come through relationship. Oh, I wish I could just broadcast that across the whole sky for everybody to read. Eternal life is offered to every sinner who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that verse in Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. Sin pays wages, and God executes the penalty. And brother, you can't go on strike, you can't sit down, you can't quit the job, you've got to receive your wages. And either you receive the wages, which is death, or somebody else. And the good news is that Jesus Christ bore your sin, bore your wages, and now if you trust him, he sets you free from the wages of sin, and in turn gives to you eternal life as a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life, not something you buy, not something you pray for, not something you agonize for, not something you work for, this is something that God gives. It's the free gift of God to anyone who will come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like you have in the preceding passage which we had in our last lesson, the publican said, God be merciful to me, the Son, and he went home justified. He came into right relationship with the living God. And my friend, you can come into right relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want this to be very clear in your mind. This is what God wants. what God wants of you and as we go down through this this story or should I say this uh, incident in the life of our Savior on how the importance of salvation he gives to us the children it's so simple that's why people trip over it they want some hard thing to do no you've got to come like a little child and in simple trust You mean, sir, I don't have to do anything? That's right. He has done it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Allow me again. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died. He died for me. Died what for? To put away your sin and to make it possible for God. To shower upon you not only his mercy and his grace, but to give to you as a definite proposition, he will give to you eternal life. The amazing thing is men spurn it. Men don't believe God. I'm going to prove God wrong. I'm going to prove that I can get eternal life by my works, by my religion, by my sacrifices. My friend, let me disillusion you on that the absolute impossibility of men working to receive salvation. The Lord Jesus finished the work. He offers you a complete pardon. He offers you complete forgiveness. He offers you eternal life. And when the man said, Good Master, he was saying the right right word, but he didn't understand how far-reaching that was. But Jesus said, Why do you call me that? There's only one who can qualify for that, and that is God. Now you go on down through the passage and read it. Now, our next lesson we will take up how the Lord dealt with him and what followed along with his disciples in his teaching of the importance of salvation. In closing, may I say, am I talking to you, friend, the Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus is still saving sinners. He is still giving eternal life to as many as who will put their trust in him. And you do it today for his name's sake.
0: My Savior set me singing He turned my heart to praise He called of his wondrous grace, and though I love him dearly now, someday